you would pray with me, uh, Lord, we thank you for this day. Uh, we thank you for the opportunity uh, to gather together, to spend time in your word. We pray as we open your word together this morning uh, that we would be reminded that you have spoken directly to us and that you've inspired and kept and, and passed this down for us. And so we pray that you would teach us, that you would guide us, that you would lead us in all truth. We pray this morning uh, that you would be moving in this place, uh, that you would take the eternal truth of your word, that you would enlighten our hearts and our minds, that you would apply it to us and that we would leave here having seen you more clearly. Uh, we thank you uh, that you are present with us, that you do that work. Uh, we pray that we would rest in that and that you'd be glorified in everything that is done and said this morning. Uh, we pray all of it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. If you want to turn with me to Ephesians chapter four, we're going to be back in Ephesians. Uh, what Josh just read to you kind of goes with what we're going to be looking at, but we're going to still be going through our study and our series on Ephesians four. So if you want to turn with me to Ephesians four, if you've got the solid blue or the solid white Bible there in the pew, it's page five sixty nine. If you've got the one that's mixed, that's blue and white, that's on page six. 35. And so we're going to be in Ephesians 4 this morning. And so what we've been doing is we've been working our way through this book of Ephesians, this letter that Paul writes to the early church in Ephesus. It was a letter that he wrote to that church, but it would have been circulated around to early believers. And so it's not just for the church at Ephesus, but it was for the early church and it's for us as well today. And so in those first few chapters, he gets into some big ideas of theology. But as we've been kind of camping out in chapter four, he gets us to some very practical applications of those things that he's told us about who we are in Christ and what that looks like. And so this morning, we're going to continue in that study of Ephesians 4. And as we do, we're going to hit on some pretty uh, relevant ideas that he's talking about. And I say relevant in the sense that I think it applies to all of us. Uh, as he's going to talk here, as we look in verse 28, about work and money. Uh, things that we deal with regularly. Uh, I, I was reading this week that the average American that has a, a full-time job will spend 90 thousand hours in their lifetime working 90,000 hours it's kind of depressing depending on your job or maybe what you're doing or, or maybe that's a really good thing this is a lot of hours when you think about it and, and the truth is a lot of us are going to get up tomorrow morning and go to work but as I was reading those statistics 90,000 hours but then it, following close behind that was saying that 80 percent of people are unhappy with their work that they don't really enjoy it or they have some issue with it or some problem or it's, it's difficult. And so 90,000 hours, but 80% are unhappy with it. And this morning, what I want us to think about is I think part of the reason maybe we struggle with it or we're unhappy with it is, is we're walking, as Paul talks about in Ephesians 4, in the old self, right? We've been making this comparison the last few weeks of we're a new creation in Jesus. God has done this work in us. And as the new self comes to bear, we want to live out of our new self, who we now are in Christ and not walking in the old self. And then when we do that, when we walk in this old way of thinking, work can be very, very difficult. And it, and it makes sense that 80% would say that they're unhappy with their work when you start to look at what that means and the way we operate when we're operating in our old self. But we're also going to touch a little bit, not just on on work, but on money as well. Maybe why we work some of the times <laughs> or maybe all the time. Maybe that would be true. You would say is you work because to make money and how do we see that and how do we operate in that? And so we're going to look at that pretty big idea this morning, uh, a pressing concern in a lot of ways for a lot of us. 
And so uh, as we get into that, let me just catch you up. You know, when Paul says in uh, chapter four, when we get into this, he's talking about living uh, and growing up into Christ. Who you now are, you're a new creation. Chapter two, we saw that we're dead in our trespasses and sins, but now you've been made alive in Jesus. You're a new creation. And he says, walk now in, inside of that, of this new creation of who you are in Christ. And so he says a couple times in, in chapter four, like in verse uh, 13, that we'd be built up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He's, asked, he's praying and, and, and teaching and talking about how we would grow up into a fullness of maturity of what we were created to be in Jesus. He says the same thing in verse 15. Speak the truth in love and we are to grow up into every way into him who is the head into Christ. And then he gets into this idea of as we're growing up into that, we're going to no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Gentile just being a way of of non-religious, not a Christian, not seeing who Jesus is. And he says, so we're not going to walk that way anymore. But then what we did last week and the week before is we talked about how do we actually do that? The practical application of the way that we live that out. And he says that in verses 22 to 24. Put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And then he says after that and be renewed in the spirit of your minds in verse 23 and then verse 24. Put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. And so that's what we've been doing the last few weeks. Last week, we talked about this idea of putting off anger. Right. He gets to the end of four and he says, uh, put away bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander. Put all those things away and be tender hearted, forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven you. Or we talked about not tearing people down with the way we talk, but building them up. He says that a little earlier. And so today I want us to think about taking that what Paul is saying and how do we apply that to how we look at work and we look at money? How do we put off the old self? And when we're talking about this idea of the old self, that's functioning apart from God in our life, apart from seeing our identity in Jesus. And when we do that in our old self, what happens is we put ourselves at the center of everything. The old self is seeing that I'm the center of all things. I get my identity by what I do and who I am and the way I operate. And I see myself at the center. That's the way I've been defining that over and over as we slip back into that thinking. Our fleshly way of thinking or the old self way of thinking is making it all about me rather than what God has done for us in Jesus and finding my identity in him. And so when we do that, especially as it pertains to money and to our work, it causes all sorts of problems. And so we're going to look at really centering in on verse 28. And I want you just to look at that there, what he says. I says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he might have something to share with anyone in need. And you, and you may read that and you may hear that and go, OK, so whole sermon on on that. <laughs> right. It's pretty straightforward. It's pretty simple. But there's a lot of things the Bible says about our work and about money. And Paul hits on it there. And so I want us to kind of dig into that and think about it together because it's really important. We spend a lot of time working. We spend a lot of time dealing and wrestling with money. Uh, statistics would say that 75 percent of Americans have some sort of stress every week related to finances. 
Right. So those are pretty important things when you start thinking about how many hours we work and how many people are struggling with their work and the way that we see money. All those things are really important. And so I want us to look at it this way. I want us first to consider how our old self or I'd say the world sees work, work and money, how the old self looks at it, kind of the, the dominant narrative that's around us. We said a couple of weeks ago when Paul tells us not to walk in the ways in which the Gentiles walk, the old self, that if we're not continuing to speak the truth and coming back to what God's word will say, that there's no neutral that we're going to be carried along by what the world says. We're going to be discipled by the world. And I think that's happened a lot in work. And so I want us to start there with the old self and the way we see it. And then we're going to move to how do we consider the way we see it in our new self, in Christ, the way we see our work and our money. And then lastly, how do we get from that old to the new? How do we make that transition? And so let's start with the old part first, kind of the dominant dominant narrative of our culture and the way it sees it and what we're continually hit with. And it's almost like we need to start with clearing kind of the, the bad teaching, clearing the clutter out of the way. I don't know if you do this, but when I sit down at my desk, I've got to like clean it off before I start doing anything. Otherwise, it'll drive me crazy because I'll be looking at all the so I have to take all the papers and wipe it all off and clean it off. And that's kind of what we need to do when it comes to work. We need to clear off all the bad ideas of what our culture says and what we're operating in. Because we get quickly out of what Scripture says and into what the world says, and it causes all sorts of problems. So with that said, let's start with just big idea, how our old self, how the world sees work. And the first thing I would say to you is that we see work oftentimes as a necessary evil. We often see work as a necessary evil. And what we get in our world today is that we try to minimize working we try to avoid it. We try to do all that we can to not have to work in a lot of ways. And so our world operates that way. And I think it's doing that more and more. And so work that is difficult, that takes sacrifice, that's, that sometimes it's not exactly what I want to do is to be avoided. Let's, let's get around that. Let's not do that. Work's not a good thing. Or we work so that we don't have to work. Right. We're constantly bombarded with that work and save and get enough money so one day you can stop working and you don't have to do that anymore. Right? That's the goal, to not have to work. And that's the lot of the ways our culture functions and works. Now, I wouldn't say that's completely the narrative, but it's a big part of it. And so we have this idea that work is a necessary evil. And so what happens is really the only reason that we then think about working is, well, the only reason I really work is, is not for work itself or not because it's a good thing. It's a necessary evil. So I do it to support my family or I do it to pay my bills or I do it so I can save enough money to take a vacation or to buy nice things that will make my life better or whatever it may be. And often that's the way we operate. But the problem is when we come to Scripture and we look at it, the Bible doesn't teach that work is evil. It doesn't teach that it's a necessary evil. That's not what it says. But we operate that way, and that's the narrative that we get hit with over and over. And I think it causes a whole lot of problems when we do that. Now, there is one thing I would say what Scripture does say. Work is a good gift of God, and I'll come back to that in just a minute. But as sin enters the world, it makes work more difficult. It makes it hard. It makes it a struggle at a lot of times, and that is very real. And you feel that. 
And it's not wrong to feel that or to see that. The Bible tells us that because sin has entered the world, it has made our work harder. But we need to understand from the very beginning that it's not a necessary evil. That's not the way the Bible presents it. It's not the way God designed it. And so that's the first one. The second one is I'd say that the old self and the way that we see work is this idea that we assign different values to different kinds of work. Within our culture, we have this kind of a a hierarchy of the way that work is, that certain jobs are higher up on the social ladder. We agree with that, that we see that all around us. And oftentimes certain jobs that are kind of given that more value usually pay more. Makes sense. The things that we assign greater value to, we're willing to pay more for. And so what happens is we see work in this way that certain jobs are better than other jobs. And this hierarchy kind of starts to shake out on it. And some pay more and some pay less. And the ones that pay more are better. And so what happens is we begin to seek jobs because of the status they can give us. Or the amount of money they can give us. Because oftentimes we get status for money. And so we put those things together and suddenly work is fallen into that category. And here's the problem when we do that. When we start to operate that way and see it that way, our identity and our vocation get conflated. They become one. I'm uh, successful because of what I do. Because I do this. Or I'm successful because I make this much money. And we start to operate under that guise when we think about work. But there's some huge problems that start to arise when we do that. Lower status jobs or lower paying jobs can become an assault on our dignity. If if we think about it in terms of if I have this job, I'm really successful and I'm more successful than this job. Then we go, well, I don't want that job. And we put our identity together with what we do. And it causes all sorts of issues when we start to see it that way. The biggest being, as we think about it, the Bible knows nothing of this. We didn't get this from God's word, that some jobs are really important and some jobs are not. And some jobs pay more. And so that makes you more important than the ones that pay less. But you you can just look quickly at Paul and Jesus and figure out, well, what did they do? Jesus was a carpenter before his public ministry began. Paul made tents. They worked with their hands. They did these jobs that were not at the higher end of what you would say as far as jobs and social status. But we end up thinking and operating that way, and it causes all sorts of problems. Because if society says this job is less and we get our identity from what we do, then we feel like a less of a person for doing this job versus that job. The Bible doesn't know anything of that. And what happens is we get bombarded with that so often that we operate that way. And we may not even know it. We may be doing it uh, not in any malicious way, but it's just we hear it so often that we just kind of do that. Uh, This happens from time to time within the church. If somebody loses a job and they're struggling to make ends meet, you go, well, take a job at certain place or whatever. I've heard people say that. Well, just take whatever you can get and work. I think that's good. And it's saying that's a bad thing. I think biblically, as Paul uh, talks about in Thessalonians that Josh read to us just a second, don't be idle, work, work with your hands, get to work, do these things, make money, go after it, do those things and be busy with doing something. And that's a good thing. 
But what happens is what people will say, and I've heard people say this at different times, seeking to encourage. Well, just take that job and do it for a while. And if you do it well, then you'll get a better job. Right? And if you get a better job, then you'll make more money. And then things will be good. Do you hear what we're doing when we do that? We're saying you're down here right now because you're doing this job. But if you work really hard, then maybe you'll be better later on when you get a better job. But what we're doing is we're making our identity and our job together and the same thing. And we're we're poorly informing that your identity is your job. The Bible doesn't teach this. And I would tell you, not only does the Bible not teach this, this is the opposite of the gospel. This idea that you are who you are because of what you do, you are who you are because of what Jesus has done for you. Your identity is is found in Christ and what he's done for you. And so when we conflate those things together and put it on a scale of this makes you more important and this makes you less important, it's the opposite of everything we say we hold to in Christ. But yet that's the way our world works. And oftentimes we're so bombarded with that that we just operate, we kind of go with the flow and the way that works. And so the first problem when we see work is a necessary evil, but then secondly, when we assign this hierarchy of different things that the Bible doesn't know anything about, it doesn't tell us that. But then lastly, the third one is what is the purpose of our work? In our old self, we can use work one uh, for our identity. This is who I am. I do this and that's who I am. Or we use it for what it can give us. It can give us money. It can give us uh, the status that I want, or it can give me the luxuries of this life that will give me a good life. And I'm not saying that everyone uses that and that's the reason they do their work, but it can quickly become a reason we do our work because we're bombarded with that all the time. You work so that you can pay your bills and get money and do things. And that's what that's why you do it. Now, Paul talks about in Thessalonians and he's going to talk about here that we're going to look at in just a second. We are to work. So you don't work, you don't eat, he says in Thessalonians. We are to work to be able to provide and pay for the things that are in front of us. And that's a good thing. But that's not the ultimate purpose that the Bible talks about of our work. And so when we operate in these things, we're operating in the narrative of our world and not the new self that God has called us to be in Jesus. So what does it look like? What does it look like to work and see our money in the new self as Paul's talking about here in Ephesians 4? And so go back to that verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And I want you just to, to think about what he's saying. Quick aside here, as he says right there at the beginning of 28. He says, let the thief no longer steal. You know, what is that about? And, and the answer is, I, I don't know exactly. He's written this letter and we don't know if he means specifically there were people in the church that were lifelong thieves that have now become believers. And he's saying, stop doing that. That might be part of it. Um, that, that very well could be part of it. That this is not who you are in Christ. So stop stealing. Don't do that. And the, but what I want you to think about is, is whether that's what he's talking about or, or maybe he's talking about uh, cheating on your taxes. Maybe it's not he's a thief, but it's another way that I'm kind of fudging the numbers to get along. We're to call to stop doing those things now because of who we are in Christ. 
to live a, a life of integrity and to seek to honor God in everything we do. And so whatever he's saying there and how he's saying it, the important thing is when you become a believer, it's a process of sanctification, of growing up into this maturity of Christ. And so maybe you, you become a believer and you're not stealing in the sense of you're a thief is your job, but maybe you've been fudging your taxes for a while. If I do it this way, I can get a little bit more money back. And maybe that's not completely accurate, but I'll do that. The Bible would say that's stealing. It's being dishonest. Or if you go to Malachi chapter three, God calls us to give generously uh, to his people to tithe. Tithe means to give 10 percent of everything you make off the top. That's what the Old Testament puts in front of us. And it says, when you make money, what you're doing is you're saying all that I have is God's and I'm giving it back to him. I'm recognizing that it's his. So I'm going to start with the very first of all that I make and present it back to him and say, it's all yours. And thank you for providing. And that's what they did. But in Malachi three, the people weren't doing it. And God says, you are stealing from me. It's a pretty serious charge. But biblically speaking, when we're being dishonest and we're holding back the things that are God's and we're not following him, he says, you're stealing from me. You go, whoa. Now, sometimes that's difficult. Maybe you become a Christian and you hear that and you go, I don't know how to even begin to do that. I've got bills. I've got just enough to hardly get through. And now you're saying I should be generous and be giving money to other people. That's a hard thing. But that's what discipleship looks like. That's what growing up into the fullness that God's called us to be in Jesus. Everything that Paul's talking about here, that we would speak the truth to one another, that we would grow up into that. We would start to make those steps to be to be honoring God in all things. And so he may say here, let the thief no longer steal. And you go, "Okay, that doesn't have anything to do with me. But maybe it does. Maybe if we're honestly looking at the way we're dealing with our money and the things that God tells us, maybe we're not exactly there yet. And so we want to be obedient to Jesus in every area of our life and begin to make those steps forward. But then look at what he does say about our work here. He says, uh, excuse me, go back to verse 28 there and what he says. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he might have something to share with anyone in need. And so when he says, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands, there's this idea when we say that the culture says that work is a necessary evil. The Bible knows nothing of that. He says, let him labor. Labor means to work hard. The word literally means to work until you're tired. To do your work with integrity and work hard. And the Bible says and tells us and the the way it presents it is that work is a good gift from God. It's not a necessary evil. It's it's I don't know if you've thought about this, but work. God gives us work in the garden before sin enters the world. It's not a resultant of sin has entered the world and things have fallen apart. And now we've got to go to work. He gives us work to do before sin enters. Now, sin distorts it and it makes it harder and it makes it frustrating at times. But work itself is a good gift of God. And so he calls us to do work. And so when he says here, let him labor, he says you're to do your work and you're to do it the best that you can. Labor means to work until you're tired. He says doing honest work with his own hands. 
It means doing work and doing it to the best of your ability. With his own hands, I think part of that is he's getting at you don't pawn it off on other people, but you do what you're supposed to do. You do your work and you do it well, but then you do it uh, with honesty and integrity. And so the things he's calling us to do, what I want you to notice here, what he's saying is he says, I want you to work hard and do it well. But he doesn't talk about what you're to do. He doesn't say, I want you to work hard and do it well and aspire to have this list of jobs over here. He just says, I want you to work hard and do it well. And the Bible talks about work and that we've given to work is a good gift of God and we're called to work and we're to do it to the best of our ability. But your worth is not dependent on what you do. I want you to think about that. It's not that your identity is because I have this job. Whatever God has gifted you to do and wherever he's placed you, there's dignity in that work. You are created in his image after his likeness. He's gifted you in certain ways and you're to do those things to the best of your ability, whatever that may be. And it doesn't matter if he calls you to be a rocket scientist or he calls you uh, to, to whatever it is, whatever our society would be really important and whatever it would say is not as important. It doesn't matter. You do your work to the best of your ability, seeing it as a good gift that God has given you. And so Paul doesn't tell us what it looks like as far as what we're supposed to doing, but just how we're to be doing it, doing honest work with his own hands. And so I want you just to, to think about that. You do your work with integrity. You charge a fair price. You show up on time. You do it with excellence. Paul will say later on in chapter six that when we do our work, we do it unto the Lord not for others, that you're to do it, giving service back to him because he's gifted you to do that, whatever it may be. And so instead of seeking a job for how much it will pay you or seeking a job because of the status that it might give you, you do what God's gifted you or the, the opportunities he's given you and you do it to the best of your ability. And so the Bible tells us that work is a good gift from God. And so you seek excellence in all that you do. But that brings us to the last part that we get wrong. What about the purpose of our work? Why do we work? Right? God's given it to us. It's a good gift. What scripture tells us is that we're, we're made in his image after his likeness and we reflect what he's like by working. God is creative. He's created all things. He's working. He's made us in his image. And now we're made to do the same. We get to reflect back what God is like. And as we do that, we seek to glorify God, showing what he's like in our work and what we do, and then serving other people. Notice what Paul says here. He says, you do honest work with your own hands so that, what does he say? Does he say, so that you can buy lots of nice things to make your life worth living? No. He says, so that... He may have something to share with anyone in need. He gives us this reason for our work that we're to glorify God, to reflect what he's like, made in his image as his image bears that God's given us this earth to take care of and to work and to to bring culture into it and do all the things that he's called us to do. But then he says here so that we can share with others that ultimately our work is not to give us uh, our identity or to climb a social ladder, or to have a bunch of money, but it's to serve other people. 
It's to love and care for others in the way that God's cared for us. To show what God's like, even in our work. And I want you to think about when we actually start to see it that way, how that might transform what you do. Whatever it is. Wherever God's placed you right now in your life. Instead of it being how you get your identity or how you uh, try to earn a bunch of money so you can buy certain things. But you see it as I get an opportunity to serve the person who God has put right in front of me. Would that change the way that you operate in your work? Would it change the way you see it? Would it change the satisfaction that comes from what you're doing? God's view of that is very different than what our culture says. Very different. And so the question then becomes, if that's the new self and what it looks like to glorify God and to serve other people in the way we do our work, then how do we get there? How do we be, as Paul says in verse 23, renewed in the spirit of our mind to put on the new self? How do we go from seeing it the way the world sees it to the way God sees it? How does that happen? And I want you to think through just a couple of things here to put off your old self. Your old self sees you at the center. It sees you as my work is going to help to inform my identity. But when you put that off, you put off the old self and you see your identity is found in Jesus. That God loves and accepts you completely and totally and fully because of what Christ has done and nothing else. How does that change the way you see your work? It doesn't need to be how I get my identity. My identity is already secure in Jesus. God already loves me completely and totally and fully because of what Christ has done. And so I don't have to rely on my work to give me my self-worth. I already have it in Christ. And so it changes my complete outlook. And if God loves me completely and totally in Christ and I'm validated in what he has done, I don't have to worry about the hierarchy that our society puts forward on. This is more important than this. Uh, No, it's not. God's gifted us differently in different ways and the arbitrary of this makes more money or this is more uh, important than this is, is ridiculous. It gets wiped away. When you're secure in your identity of who you are in Christ, you don't have to operate that way. And then it frees you to actually go and love and serve people right where you are, wherever God's placed you, whatever he's gifted you in to do. And it's good. And so you use the things that God's given you to serve the people around you and show what God is like in the way that you care for them. It's a very different way to think about work than what our society says. But it's also very difficult to get there when we're constantly bombarded by that, which is what Paul's warning us about. So speak the truth to one another. Encourage one another daily. Remind one another of who you are in Christ and that that is what guides the way that we operate in this world, not what society says about our work. And so whatever you get up to do tomorrow, wherever God's placed you, Whatever he's put in front of you, you have an opportunity to show what God's like and serve the people that are right in front of you. To love and serve them the way that Jesus has loved and served us. And it's a glorious, good gift that when we see it that way, that God's given us. And I think it will transform the way that we operate and work in our world. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the glorious truth of your word. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you that you love us, 
that you've met us in the middle of right where we are. I pray right now for those who are maybe struggling with the job, whatever that would look like, that it's difficult or that it's hard. I pray that you would just encourage them right where they are, that you love them completely and totally because of what you've done for us in Jesus. I pray that you'd transform us from seeing our jobs as our identity, as seeing uh, our jobs as just a way to buy different things, but that we would see them as an opportunity to serve you to love you, to glorify who you are in all things and serve the people that are in front of us. We pray that we would do it for your glory and for your name. We pray all of it in Jesus' name. Amen.